Zach on Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. Been a really fun show. Appreciate everyone who has rolled with us. James Merrillat, Will Peterson filling in for Stoke and Zach today. James is going to see Stoke and Zach in about, uh, if you're listening in real time, not on the Stokely and Zach podcast after the fact, three hours and 59 minutes. Yes, yes. We're apparently getting the early bird special. That was the third request. Uh, for folks just tuning in, you don't need to give us the full reset, but you're paying off like seven bets you owe these guys. Yeah, I've lost a number of them over the years on this show. Uh, and tonight's wiping everything clean. Yeah, we'll be dead even after this one. Even Steven after uh, tonight. So I've owed, uh, I've owed them both steak dinners for a while, for a bit. I have been trying to get this scheduled for years. It would have been a heck of a lot cheaper two years ago. The prices have gone up. So we will be paying that off tonight. It should be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait to hear the stories tomorrow on the show when Stoke and Zach are back here. All right, James, we were talking about it a little bit before the break, but Jonathan Taylor is on the block. The Colts don't need to be in a rush to trade him because it's going to be a draft pick either way. So they're not using it till April. So if you're Jim Ursay, heck, Trade him at the trade deadline. Make him inactive the first six, seven, eight games. Let that price go up as guys get hurt, as teams realize they're contenders, et cetera, et cetera. But these odds have come out. And I was a little surprised to see that the odds makers have given the Broncos the fourth best odds to land Jonathan Taylor behind only the Dolphins, the Bears, and the Ravens. They are tied with the Cowboys. You go through it, you know, the Dolphins were in the Dalvin Cook sweepstakes. It it feels like they have, like, Seven Raheem Mosterts down there, but no no superstar. Um, the Bears, that offense looks like it could be electric, and you add a, a top-tier running back to that group, that may uh, be an enticing place. And then the Ravens, you know, you pair Jonathan Taylor with Lamar Jackson, and you got OBJ outside and Mark Andrews. How are you going to stop that group? Yeah, it's a little bit similar in Chicago, right? If you pair him with Justin Fields, I mean, that's a heck of a running duo. Yeah. Um, so, and, you know, the Ravens, the Ravens run the ball very well. They're always one of the top rushing teams in the league. The the Bears run the ball very well. They're not they weren't particularly good last year at doing much else, but they were good at that. But look, the Broncos are fourth in that sweepstakes for a reason. Explain it to me then. Because everybody can look at this roster outside of the city of Denver and go, they don't have a star running back either. They don't. Mm. So you think this is more an indictment on, yeah, they may have flirted with Dalvin Cook. They may have thought about Kareem Hunt. Who knows? They may have called Ezekiel Elliott. And Vegas generally knows. That's kind of what we always say when these things come out. Yep. That where there's where there's smoke, there may be a little bit of fire. And Sean Payton and George Payton could do could do something a little crazy here and trade for Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, and I mean, if, if you think about the best running backs in the league, well, none of those teams are on here. The Titans aren't on that list. The no. Giants aren't on that list. No. The Raiders aren't on that list, even though they have a disgruntled star running back. Correct. It's teams that don't have an answer. Doesn't mean there's not somebody on the roster who could play and could turn into the guy, but they don't have an obvious answer right now on August 23rd, and Jonathan Taylor would be an obvious answer. He's arguably the best running back in the league. All right, but this is coming from the guy who wrote earlier this week that Jaleel McLaughlin should be named the starter. He should be because he's better than the other two guys. Okay, but real fast, and I want to get to that. I do. But if they trade for Jonathan Taylor, Jaleel McLaughlin will no longer make the 53. So how can you justify in your head that you want Jaleel to be the starter but also trade for Taylor, and then you've got to dangle McLaughlin out there and be be worried about losing him. I mean, it's a, like do you want do you want them to trade for Taylor, or do you want them I to? Would, I'd be thrilled if they trade traded for Jonathan. Then they would Taylor. lose to Lil McLaughlin. Though. Fine, okay, fine. I don't necessarily think that. I don't think that it that he if I think he's better right now than Javante Williams and Samaje P Ryan, I would keep him on the roster. I would cut Samaji P. Ryan. That would be the guy if I. Nah, you just you made him a bunch one, of money. They, there's going to be a lot of. Okay, so we're making there. decisions on based on finances now versus who can play? I, I, I'm basing decisions on living in reality. They're well, not going to cut Samaji P. Ryan or Javante Williams. Who's to say one of those two guys that aren't part of the package that goes to the Colts? Perhaps, but I mean, what we've heard. need a running back. Uh, what we have heard is they are looking for draft capital. And probably. And the Broncos, to me. After what they've gone through the last two years in terms of the Russell Wilson trade and the Sean Payton trade, 
I can't see them giving up much of anything in terms of draft capital. But there's nobody they're going to draft. Nobody they're going to draft in April and May that is better than Jonathan Taylor. Not even close. He's arguably the best back in the league. Now he has some injury issues. He got hurt last year, missed a lot of time. Do I think Josh Jacobs is probably a little bit more durable, although he's, has, he's been banged up a little bit? Sure. But you add Jonathan Taylor to this offense, yeah, they'd be significantly better, so significantly more dynamic. He's, he's light years better than anybody on this roster. He just is. I, I just think it's – I think you make an interesting point about why they have the fourth best odds because people can look at this from the outside and see that's a team – that may need to add a star running back. But I also think at the same time, I don't know if they're considering what you brought up. They just traded so much for Russ. They just had to give up another first-round pick for Sean Payton that they got back in the Bradley Chubb deal. The Colts reportedly want a first-round pick. Can you really not have a first-round pick in this league for three straight years? Now the Rams probably did it, and now they're, they've been paying the price. I was going to say, they did win a Super Bowl, but the Broncos... Haven't gotten the reward of, hey, we gave up all our first-round picks, but we won a Super Bowl. I mean, the Avs, to some extent, did that. You know, they were mortgaging their future for some trade deadline deals, which they were trading top prospects, which we all said at the time, who cares? Go try to win a cup. And that turned into Arturi Lekkinen. That led him to a cup. It worked out. But the Broncos, for giving up first-round draft picks three years in a row, have not sniffed a Lombardi trophy. Uh, I'm with you, but there's nobody they're going to draft in the first round that's going to be better than Jonathan Taylor. There's not. Well, and I mean, Jonathan Taylor is a young player. Unless you go two and fifteen, James. Well, sure, but uh, if if you have Jonathan Taylor, Russell Wilson, and Sean Payton at the helm of that offense, you ain't going two and fifteen. Well, Caleb Williams would be a better player than Jonathan Taylor. Fine. I think we would all take. They're not that getting up. Caleb Williams if that's if that's what they're working with. Well, unless well, everybody well, gets hurt. What if they do this trade now and then have a really bad year? And then all of a sudden, like it was two years ago, Seattle got a top-five pick, and now you're sending a top-five pick to Indy. How much are you going to be kicking yourselves that three years in a row you gave up a top-ten draft pick? Okay, but if they if they give up a top-five draft pick by making this deal, then Sean Payton is unequivocally a disastrous hire. Unless mm. Jonathan Taylor and Russell Wilson run into each other on the first play of the first game and both blow out their knees and miss the season. If he can't win with Russell Wilson and Jonathan Taylor – then he's a colossal disaster. That's not going to happen. It's not. Like, you you can't live the what if all the time of, like, well, what if this goes bad? Like, you're getting a great player. It, you know, and people say, ah, you don't want to give him the money. You don't want to give him the money. Okay, you got the richest owner in the league. I know it's a salary cap sport, but there's always ways to restructure things and work your way around it. You're on my side now. So I told I, you a few weeks ago on Denver Sports Tonight, the cap is a myth. Sounds well, like you're buying into that. It's not a myth. The bill eventually comes due, but I would want to try and make – as much hay as I could while Sean Payton and Russell Wilson are here. Jonathan Taylor helps you do that. Not a guy you're going to draft at 22 in April who you hope to get four or five good years out of. They're not going to pick 22 in April, though. Well, they could. That's a fringe playoff team. That's That's a a little more comfortably in the playoffs. That's a six seed. It's a seven seed. Mm, It's somewhere in there. Five seed, right? That's somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, it's w- they're they're playing in wild card weekend. Would w- would you would you pull the trigger on this for a first round pick? I, your final answer is yes. If if the phone <laughs> rang today and you're George Payton, yeah, uh, I, I, I'm 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 hemming and hawing. I'm not. It's not a hundred percent slam dunk for a first round pick. I would probably do it because I don't think you're going to draft anybody better than Jonathan Taylor. He's coming off of an injury. There's a contract dispute, so there's more to it. Right of well, how healthy is he? Is he the guy he was two years ago when he led the league in rushing, or is where's he at? And then just sort of mentally and team guy wise and all that kind of stuff. Like, what's it going to cost for him to be bought in and he's ready to go? But Jonathan Taylor, when he's healthy and when he's right, is a phenomenal running back. Phenomenal. He's he is. In, he's in the category of TD and Clinton Portis, not in the category. And these guys were very good of Mike Anderson, Ruben Drones, Olandis Gary. And that's where the guys they have right now, they're in that group. TD and Clinton Portis are, are different; uh, uh, they're a different class. And Jonathan Taylor, that's where that's where he's flying. He's flying in that class. I would pass on this for now. I am all in on the Javante Samaje Jaleel running back room. Told you an hour ago they're going to be a two thousand yard group, and I just don't think you can sacrifice a first round pick for a third year in a row. That's the just, most dynamic back in that trio is an undrafted rookie, and he should start. That should that should be huge red flags. No, the most dynamic guy is the guy who led the league in broken tackles two years ago. 
it's it's like a made up stat. <laughs> no, it's not. It's like it, it totally is like breaking a made tackles up stat. is important. Last time I checked, you well, can break qualifies as a broken tackle. What you, qualifies as a broken you tackle? You can break one tackle in this league and you're gone. Uh, if you get touched at all, is it a broken tackle? I mean, you can picture well, what since, I'm talking about, James. But since we can't define it, I'm saying Dude it's a made-up Dude would get up wrapped up around the ankles and somehow get out I of can it. tell you what rush, what a rushing yard is. It's if you went from here and went three feet forward. I cannot wait. I can define it. Javante Williams to have a huge 203 year. carries, 903 yards, and four touchdowns. Good grief. Clear some room on the facade because he's a, he's a ring of famer. You told me two oh segments goodness. ago that you didn't think he'd get to 600. So you just gave him 300 more. Yeah, well, it's a nice was, little upgrade. He, he was a rookie not coming off of three torn ligaments in his knee. Oh, that was the stat line that year? Yeah. I thought you were predicting 903 this year. No, no, year. that was his rookie year. 203 carries, 903 yards, and four touchdowns. And everybody in this town wanted to put him in the ring of fame. Yeah. And I'm saying pump the brakes. There's a reason why the Broncos are fourth in the Jonathan Taylor sweepstakes. It's because everybody outside of Denver who doesn't look at this through orange-colored glasses looks at that running back room and goes, eh. All right, I'm going to say thanks, but no thanks on Jonathan Taylor. As you guys can say, or as you guys can tell here, whatever, James is fired up. Well, you're going to hear him really fired up when we play what Bud Black had to say last night. Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan presents Stoking at Zach. All right, there was one coach last night. That really ticked off James Merrillat. As we fill in for Stokens Act today, I'm Will Peterson. The Rockies are not on our radar a lot these days, James. They are not. But when they give up nine runs in an inning to go from leading 4-3 down in Tampa, yeah, they've been cold lately, but by all accounts a World Series contender, to losing 12-4, to I mean, that will catch anyone's attention of what the heck happened in the eighth inning when they gave up nine runs. You think that would be an excuse for the manager to rip his team that may or may not lose 100 losses. But instead, and I'm going to get your reaction, I just want to hear it first. Here's what Bud Black said about that disastrous inning. I mean, you know, baseball got us a little bit in that inning, right? He jammed Siri to start the inning. You know, I mean, good pitch, but he, you know, he, uh, you know, got enough of the bat on the ball to loop it into center. Um, you know, next hitter, ground ball. You know, to, it looked like off the bat, it looked like a potential double play ball. Uh, but, you know, just out of, you know, max reach. You know, there's a number of balls tonight, right, that eluded, eluded Tovar. I mean, already. I, I, I can barely listen anymore. It's it it a jam down, ground ball, should have been a double play. And then this it looked like this. it was going to be a double play. It eluded the fielder. In other words, it was a hit. <laughs> That's what every single is, essentially, right? It, it's like, yeah, it was a ground ball that got through the infield. It happens all the time. It's a hit. If, if Bud Black was keeping the scorebook, all of his pitchers would pitch no hitters. Oh, that should have been a, that could have been a double play ball. He's like the Little League mom. Yeah, Billy's baseball he's a game. little league mom keeping the scorebook. I, I mean, to blame a nine-run inning, you're up 4-3 going yep. into the bottom of the eighth, you lose 12-4. And to say it's bad breaks and the baseball gods and just say that's baseball? No, it's not. At some point when you're the manager, and this is what drives me nuts about Bud Black, and I get it. Everybody's like, well, what do you expect him to do? He's been dealt a bad hand. I'm not sitting here saying Bud Black should lead this team to the World Series or should be gone at all. But if if he leads them to the worst season in the history of the franchise, should there be any repercussions? Or we should we can just continue to make excuses for a guy who over the course of 16 years as a major league manager has lost 130 more games than he's won? Yeah, for as, mu- or for as little faith as I have in Dick Monfort and Bill Schmidt, I do think 100 losses may catch their attention. That's just human nature. That's a nice round number. It's never been done in 31 years of the franchise. I know their most ever is 98, so 99 would break the record. But I think if you're a Rockies fan rooting for change, I think 100 losses may be a good thing. And I think last night, if I'm the owner of the team, and we give up nine runs in the eighth to go from up 4-3 to losing 12-4, and that's my manager's answer, as opposed to he goes into the locker room and starts throwing Gatorade buckets, Sorry, somebody else is managing tonight. And the rest of the season, somebody else is managing. So you would have fired him after that answer? Yes. Yeah. What are we doing? Let's see if we can make it through the rest of this. Our eluded Mac, but, 
you know, that's baseball, right? Game of inches. And then, you know, from there, probably, you know, the at-bat, the third baseman walked on a 3-2 count. That puts you in a little bit of peril with the bases loaded, no outs. Oh, we didn't uh, throw three strikes. You know, got a big strikeout. You know, got a big strikeout yeah, in there. Strike and then, got an out. Uh, you know, the pinch hitter, uh, the backup catcher got a... You know, base hit. You know, they they just bunched some singles together and got the got the ball in play. And that's the, you know, that's something we talk about offensively, right? You you know, put the ball in play. A lot of good things can happen. Did they not hit a grand slam home run? They hit a grand slam. Ah, you know, they just they got to walk and put together a bunch of singles and, you know, as, uh, he acts like they had fifteen consecutive hits off the end of the bat. That should that should have been an out, and it just was the worst luck of all time. A walk isn't bad luck. You know, McMahon couldn't get to a ground ball is not bad luck. No, it's a base hit. A grand slam home run. Where does that go into it? Like, is that just the baseball gods not shining on you that you're throwing BP in the eighth? So the, I mean, the first on. the first three runs were scored on singles. The first three, but after that, a two run double. And a grand slam, okay? It's like he fell asleep in the dugout once it was 6-4. Yeah, so he sort of blacked that part out and then woke up and it was 12-4. I mean, Bud Black, that that's an all-time answer we just played there. And we had to play it in two, two blurbs to get through it because it was so bad. But it was just this rambling. Like, I feel like the uh, guy in Billy Madison saying at no point in your rambling, incoherent response... Did you make anything that made sense? I, I butchered that, but you know what I'm saying. Like, I mean, we got a bad break. We walked yeah. a guy on a 3-2 pitch. I mean, what? I mean, no. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to that. You're a major league pitcher. A 3-2 count? You got to get the out. That's your job. Ah, walked him on a 3-2 pitch. Good enough. Good. That's essentially what Bud Black is saying. Hey, pitching staff, if you walk guys on a 3-2 count, that's good enough here. We're counting that as a, we're counting that as a success. What is he talking about? Well, a different standard for that team than all the other teams in this town. Because as I tweeted out this morning, James, it's pretty remarkable. Three of our active four head coaches, and I know there's a ton of sports, but in the big four that I'm talking about, have championship rings. Jared Bednar, Michael Malone, and Sean Payton all have championship rings. Bud Black, the only one uh, who doesn't as a manager. And the only other city I can think of that boasts that is L.A., with Sean McVay with the Rams, Dave Robert with the Dodgers, and they have double our teams, but you do have to count Tyron Lue with the Clippers because he got that ring back in Cleveland. But it shows you how lucky we are to be sports fans in this town. Three of our four in charge have rings. Boston can't say that. New York can't say that. Miami can't say that. Only L.A. can say that along with them. Well, and L.A. says it, it's three out of eight. Here yeah. it's three out of four. So it's just it's laughable, Will. It's laughable, and it's it's just a prime example of the lack of standards at 20th and Blake. And for that to be the kind of performance that you excuse at all and not have it be, just come out and say, that is totally unacceptable. That's just totally unacceptable, and we have to be better. That's your answer. This rambling answer about how you gave up nine runs because of bad luck, I... I just was blown away. I, I don't know that I've ever heard anything like it. It's Gomber time down in Tampa Bay tonight if you're looking for a little bit of action. But coming up on the other side, our guy Cecil Lammy was at practice. He'll tell us if the Rams truly did win it. Plus, Cecil's got some Jonathan Taylor news. We'll dive into it next. You're listening to Stokely and Zach on Denver Sports Station, 104.3 The Fan. We've been chopping it up about Broncos practice for the last two and a half hours. Other than our little butt black side rant. He's James Merrillat. I'm Will Peterson. Pleased to be joined by our guy Cecil Lammy, DenverSports.com. He's presented by Sean Ponda. Cecil, we will get to practice shortly because we want to hear your take on if they won, lost, who stood out, whatever. Right. But... You got some Jonathan Taylor news. Is yeah, that right. I have some Jonathan Taylor news, both interesting and then kind of frustrating at the same time. And nosing around the league, and what's funny yesterday, I'm off. I'm at the top of the Manitou incline. I actually made it. Took an hour and a half or so. Oh, good for you. Um, phone's buzzing. It's GMs. It's people around the league. and Because I've been inquiring. I've been checking around. Like, who's interested in Jonathan Taylor? There's two teams that I'm told are the most interested. One is the Miami Dolphins because of their interest in Dalvin Cook. And the Broncos' interest in Dalvin Cook was also larger than they were letting on or anyone really knows. 
Um, the Denver Broncos are the second team. Wow. So I don't know if there's any lists or people putting out the hot thing, but from people that I talk to, multiple sources around the league, there's two teams that are the most interested. It's the Dolphins and it is the Denver Broncos. Here's the caveat. And this is kind of uh, backroom, uh, you know, scout talk. People think Jim Irsay is just looking for a price tag so that someone will tell Jonathan, this is what you're worth. Mm. He can go back to Irsay and Irsay will just pay him. So that's the kind of kick in the mid midsection, if you will, that takes a little bit of the air out of it. And I think it's honestly very frustrating that Jim Irsay would be doing this because it's almost finagling the system. He's getting to see what the market is. Before, because they have to agree to, okay, we would trade and then we would give you this new contract. Well, Jonathan Taylor could go back to Jim Irsay and say, well, hey, the Dolphins are going to pay me this much. And he'd be like, okay, we'll just make that here. So in a way, Irsay is allowing his guy to test the market without actually exposing him because we know the price tag for Jonathan Taylor will include multiple picks or starters, plural. If Jonathan Taylor is moved. So good news, interesting news, but also frustrating because I think Ursay is gaming the system. Well, the Broncos have the fourth best odds, according to Vegas, to acquire Jonathan Taylor. My take on that was if you live outside of Denver and you don't look at everything through orange colored glasses, you look at this roster and go that that running back room is fairly pedestrian. Right. The fact that the Broncos were interested in Dalvin Cook and they're interested one of the two teams most interested in, in Jonathan Taylor tells me Sean Payton and George Payton kind of have the same assessment that Javante, especially coming off the injury, some IJP Ryan, who everybody here acts as like multiple-time thousand-yard rusher, and an undrafted rookie probably isn't that great of a room. It may be one of the worst in the league. Jonathan Taylor would be a monumental upgrade over any of those guys. Well, you'd have explosion to the room that Jaleel will bring in a certain Which capacity. Which is why he should be the starter currently. And, and that's interesting. But if you have a Jonathan Taylor to this offense, now you have that superstar effect. Guy can score from anywhere on the field. Guy can catch 100 passes. That sort of impact for this team. That's what Samaje doesn't provide you. He's one of the league's worst in terms of explosive plays. Plays over 15 yards. He just doesn't have them, everybody. And I love Samaje P. Ryan ever since he beat up on Kansas with eight touchdowns and 300 yards on the ground at Oklahoma. But anyway, like, and again, if Taylor is traded for, we're talking about starters, plural, that are moved, people are concentrating on the picks. I don't want him to give up picks. It might it might be a combination where you're not giving up your first rounder, but a starter, and then some sort of picks okay, after but, that. But, but let me just ask you then, would it make sense that one of those pieces involved, people aren't going to love it, but one of those pieces involved be Javante Williams? Yes. Yeah. That would make sense. No. I don't know. Uh, it's just buzz around the league that the Denver Broncos are the second most interested. Everyone thinks Miami's going to get him. Everyone thinks the Dolphins. But because the Broncos were quietly more interested in Dalvin Cook than anyone has been reporting, that leads a lot of teams to think like, oh, Denver's doing it. This, But again, the people I talk to think that Ursay is just trying to figure out what right. he should pay his guy. The GM in Indy, is it still Chris Ballard? Yes. What? Mm-hmm. The Ballard? I check Check on that, Kevin. It, it, yes. Like, why does he not know or have a pretty good sense of what Jonathan Taylor's value is? Right? Like, why is Jim Ursay out running around? He's still the GM, uh, by the way. Trying to figure this yes. stuff out. Yeah. I, uh, I'm i not saying that's not happening because Jim Ursay's he's he's a manly owner. He's, yeah. yeah. He's, a, he's a different sort of fella. Right. But, boy, talk about dysfunctional. I mean, can you imagine if that was happening here? Mm-hmm. Uh, that That... George Payton and Sean Payton weren't figuring out, hey, here's what we need to pay our free agent. It was Greg Penner floating out ideas and causing a holdout and doing all the rest of this stuff to try and figure out what they should what they should pay, insert name here. I mean, that is, if you're a Colts fan, that's alarming. Right. That's a mess. Yeah. Sign me up for it, though. I would make that trade in a heartbeat. Uh, just real quick to put a bow on this, Javante and what? Would it be like Javante and like a third? Something like that? Or do you think the, t- the pick would still be higher? Because a lot of people are getting hung up on the first-round pick thing because they're scarred, giving up two first-round right. picks for Russ and one right. for Sean. And I don't think the Broncos would be involved in that. No. Again, could be wrong. Anything can happen in this league, but it would be a starter and maybe multiple starters plus a mid-round pick. Okay. All right, well, we'll keep an eye on it. Good stuff there, Cecil, on uh, the Jonathan Taylor sweepstakes. Let's talk about practice today, though. Yes. The, the word on the street, and this is 
what we've been talking about based on social media, a lot of reporters that were out there, was that the Rams won practice today. Give okay. us give us your takeaway on that. Uh, that is correct, but if I may say something that's going to make everybody mad, there's so many people in the media tent that, one, aren't paying attention, okay? And we'll just call it like it is. I said it off air. I'll say as much as I can on air. So we have to take that with a large grain of salt because what happens, and we've all been out there, is a big play will happen, and then half of that tent will be like, what happened? Because they're not watching practice. The other thing is there's reporters and there's analysts, and you need to listen to the analysts and less the reporters because the reporters are just telling you what happened. But wrapping that all up, I would say, yes, the Rams did win today. Cooper Cup was out there yeah. uh, for the first time. He's been cleared to practice. He was going against Pat Sertan. He was winning against Pat Sertan. Yeah. The pit which is the one-on-one drills, offensive line, defensive line. Only one Denver Bronco won and in the entire drill, and it was Matt Henningsen. So Gregory wasn't getting home. Cooper wasn't getting home. Zach Allen wasn't getting home. Nobody was winning in nice. the pit. So things that we had seen, hey, this Broncos defensive line, these pass rushers, they're getting after it. Yeah, they're getting after Garrett Bulls and, you know, <laughs> Prince and all, all the, you know, McGlinchey yeah. when he's out there. McGlinchey was back out there Fleming. today. So, yeah. yes, Cam Fleming. So, like... Okay, we, we're beginning to see how you stack up against another team. And this, I could make the argument easily that this day of practice is much more important than anything they've put on film in the preseason. The time the Niners came in, I think that was 2019, and those joint practices, particularly the first day, was alarming. Mm-hmm. So let's say that was a 10 on the 0 to 10 scale of red flags. Yes. Where was today? Uh, this is more around a 5. Okay. Honestly, uh, okay. what you were talking about specifically is the 49ers came in here and punked everyone except Phil Lindsay and Tim Patrick. The only guys. They're the yep. only guys. They came in here and they're like, this is our house. They took over. They were physical. The Broncos today, and it was Damari Mathis that started things going with Van Jefferson, basically by body slamming him after the play. They started some physicality. What's so funny, this entire training camp, you guys have seen it. Randy Gregory's the peacemaker, right? Hmm. I think uh, our guy Richie Carney was like, he's like John Cena. He's the peacemaker out there. But, like, it's funny because Randy Gregory, the guy that you don't want to mess with, the guy that would start a fight at the drop of a hat, is the one coming over to split things up because no one wants to mess with him. Last year when the Cowboys were here, he wasn't playing yet. He was still injured, (laughs) and he was starting fights. Right, right. Now, that's his former team. It was a different kind of deal. He was amped up for it. But that is interesting. I think, though... Sometimes these practices are hard to evaluate because you don't know. Like, if they get dominated again tomorrow, not dominated, if they lose again tomorrow, well, then you can throw out the theory of, hey, was today maybe a little slanted Rams, right. tomorrow's a little slanted Broncos. You're going to learn, right. You know, that, that in terms of, hey, this is what we're working on. You guys, if you could do this against us, you tell us what you want us to do tomorrow. And it's kind of, it's slanted that way. That's part of it. And then it also is just, hey, what was each team trying to accomplish? If the Rams are trying to look at it like, hey, who's our best 11? What are they going to be able to do out there? And the Broncos are out there trying to make decisions on guys that are vying for starting jobs or vying for you know roster spots. You have different goals in mind. Right. Practice can go distinctly different ways. That's why I always take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. And you should, and I'm glad you bring this up, and I want to make sure to alert the fans because there's people out there going like, oh, it was awful on Twitter, and now you're saying it was awful. No, 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 no. They design what specifically to work on. Sean and Sean, McVeigh and Peyton will go to each other and say, hey, we need to work on red zone. They worked on tempo. Matt Stafford was using tempo. Sertan was ta- was asked about it. Like, tempo was a problem for this defense. Yeah, it was. So that's something where Peyton and McVeigh, like, hey, can we work on tempo today? Hey, can we work on red zone today? Hey, my guys are, like, lacking here. Let's do this. Two surprises. Ooh, let's hear them. Alberto Kuebunam. I think he had like three touchdowns on the day. Yeah. So yep. way to go, Alberto. Had a good week of practice last week, according to Peyton. Not necessarily according to me, but whatever. Coach He's is right. Make the team. Uh, I think he might make the Rams. <laughs> I think he might <laughs> showcase him. He made a team today. Nate, huh? Nate Adkins. If you're keeping four tight ends, Nate Adkins is the guy. He's going to make the team if you keep four tight ends. The other one. This one's a shocker, but a good, good, good one. Scare Bulls. Oh, I watch Scare Bulls closely now. Someone names a Rams pass rusher. Nobody can. Um, exactly, yeah. Dude, yeah Von Miller's not there anymore. Right, right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Justin Hollins are all gone, and of course, no Aaron Donald, but he's in the middle. But Garibald's had a really good day of practice. So, um, you know, Okwebenam, whatever, we'll see. Bowles, stack those days, baby. We need to see more of that. This was Garrett Bowles' best day of training camp by far. Did he just look more comfortable, like he's, he's truly recovering from the broken leg? 
Well, in their design, and there's a lot of short stuff. I'm not giving away any trade secrets for the Broncos. But in their design, Bowles didn't have to do a whole lot. Just make sure you're not holding immediately. And he was making sure to keep those Rams pass rushers that nobody can name at bay without holding immediately. See, so since we have you here, I know the game's a few a few days away, but if you were Sean Payton, would you play the starters on Saturday night? No, I wouldn't even play Jaleel McLaughlin. Like, I've seen enough from Jaleel McLaughlin, and maybe he's your starter. He's number 38 on the field. He's number one in James Merrillat's heart. He is. But he's I, just a more dynamic player than the two guys in, in front of him. And he's also an inside-out runner. The great thing about him is that, like Philip Lindsay, he's Philip Lindsay with hands, everybody. If you haven't seen Jaleel McLaughlin play, just think if Philip Lindsay could have caught, like, hey, that's a pretty damn good running back. I'm not saying 1,000 yards, right? But this kid, with that opportunity, he knows what to do, not afraid of any sort of contact, takes it between the tackles. Scouts call it inside out. So he'll go in between the tackles, linebacker levels when he bounces it, and then he's gone. No one else provides that nope. sort of speed or explosion. They don't. And it reminded me, I wrote it in my column on Monday at denversports.com, and I'm not comparing him to TD. But the situation is similar, where TD would have been out of football if he knew how to speak Japanese. They were in Tokyo for a preseason game, and he was so frustrated, he tried to go home but couldn't book a flight home on his own because he couldn't communicate. And the starting running backs ahead of him were Rod Bernstein, a converted tight end, and Glenn Milburn, who was about 150 pounds. Exactly, but Glenn Milburn was a second-round pick. Rod Bernstein was a guy that gave a lot of money in free agency from from the Chargers. And TD was better, and he got a chance, and he kept getting more and more of an opportunity. And I remember, I remember it to this day, listening to midday sports talk on KBIG, and it was Woody Page and Gil Whiteley. All right, Cecil, great stuff. We'll read more about it at denversports.com. That was Cecil Lammy brought to you by Sean Ponda. Coming up on the other side, we will put a bow on this thing, including talking to DMAC. He's reporting the drops today. Those were a Jerry Judy problem. Stokely and Zach on Denver Sports Station, 1043, The Fan. That's how you going by, I had to say hello. And I don't mean to pry, but girl, I gotta know what is your name. Dollar for you if you get it. No idea. Outskirts? You don't know who sings this? What, what is Outskirts? A band? Name of the song. This is Ken Folks. <laughs> oh, it is? Yeah. Ken Folks. Same guy, right? I got, I got vetoed on Outskirts, but yeah, same guy. Sam Hunt, right? Yep. Oh, you're right. Obviously. Wait, this isn't Bad Bunny? No, it's not Bad Bunny. Oh. I, I know. Which we didn't know if that was a band. What it was. No. Hey, we're filling in for Stoke and Zach today. James Merrill, Will Peterson. I know we're supposed to play along with the Guess the Country song, but I, I'm telling you guys, we could do 100 and I'd be lucky to get one. It's just not my jam. You went to the Taylor Swift concert? She's not country. Yeah, she is. That's where whoa, she started. Whoa. Yeah, she was roots. country in 2006. That's her roots. She's been pop for about 14 years. Mm, I don't know. I mean... Drew, Kevin, back me up. Taylor Swift is not a country artist. Not anymore, Not no. even close. No. She was, but not now. For the briefest of brief periods of time. Yeah, like when she was like 15, right? Yeah. Or no. 22 or however no, no. old she was. How many times did she win CMA Awards? How many CMA Awards has Taylor Swift won when, it, she, when she was in country? It, yeah. It can't be for the briefest of time. Like she won one year and then just went pop. She's, just, she, she's got a ton of country hits that she wrote no, for other she artists. She has like one album that's country. Oh my gosh. This is, this is inaccurate. All right, well, this is false. We played the game. Good song. Always love to get some. I got the artist. I just uh, didn't get the song. Thanks for the correction yeah, there, Kevin. Good to get some Bad Bunny into the program. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, that's not Bad Bunny. Uh, we've had a really fun day talking Broncos and Rams joint practices. DMAC will uh, join us here shortly, fill us in on what he saw over there. Uh, I'm sure it was the the worst practice in the history of mankind. The Jerry Judy drop problems. We went through Sean Payton's presser, James. He said, you know, there was too many penalties, false starts. The offense got tired, not happy with the drops. Every media member out there saying the Rams won the day, which I know you don't love. But it does give us a segue into what I want to close the show on is like, what are your biggest concerns right now? Because Sean Payton did have some concerns today. All right. Well, I've got two position groups. One is a position, not a position groups. And then just kind of a 
an overall thing. Okay. So I, I think the takeaway from training camp in the preseason has been, hey, the offensive line is a concern. Mm. Right now, part of that is Mike McGlinchey's been out. We haven't seen a lot of him. Ben Powers just tends to get dominated at times and just push right back into Russell Wilson's face. They gave Ben Powers a lot of money. That's a guy I have my eye on. Yeah, yeah. he should have got called for a holding penalty against the Niners. Like, would you say right now that Ben Powers is definitively an upgrade from Dalton Reisner? Absolutely not. I would not. I would not. And Dalton Reisner is still a free agent. Which is a mystery to me. Um, I don't know. I think you go watch the tape from Christmas Day. Maybe. Maybe. And that may be turned a lot of people off, but does it turn 32 teams off? Something happened. Because Something had for, to for what happened between him and Brett Rippon on Christmas Day, for him to be the number three free agent guard on all these lists, and it's now August 23rd and he doesn't have a job? Bizarre. Remarkable. So Ben Powers is a concern. Garrett Bowles coming off the injury is a concern. Um, so I, I think just this offensive line being you know, cohesive and able to protect Russ a little bit, and able to up, uh, open up some lanes for the running game, I, I think that's my number one concern. Kicker's a big-time concern for me. I, I don't know that Brett Mars, the, the guy that'll be out there week one. If he's if he's not going to be, then what are you doing? Let's, let's get somebody else in here. But I would have zero confidence if they score a touchdown and make it 24-23 and Brett Maher has to go out with four seconds left to kick the game-tying extra point in that game, I would be on pins and needles. Yeah, That's a bad situation. Would not make me feel good. The other worry I have is this team makes a lot of mental mistakes, right? We have seen false start after false start after false start. Which was a theme today in practice. Drops. Andrew Mason reported that Nick Benito jumped off sides a couple of times. Like, those are mental mistakes. A holding penalty, part of that is technique, but part of that is just sometimes you get beat, right? And you're better off to grab the guy than let him hit your quarterback. Not all holding penalties are created the same. Those aren't necessarily mental mistakes. Sometimes they are. If you just get lazy with your technique or whatever, or you you know you don't read where the blitz is coming and you have to reach and lunge or whatever. But false starts. I mean, you know the snap count. The other team doesn't. Correct. That is a mental mistake, and this team has a lot of them. And and, and that's a theme dating back to previous coaching staff. Correct. That's where I was going to go. It's like, not a Sean Payton thing. We can blame that on Nathaniel Hackett and his staff was. You know, just inept. We can blame that on Vic Fangio. All he cared about was the defense, right? And Pat Shermer and all the rest of that stuff. But if you keep having that over multiple coaching staffs, maybe you just don't have very good players. Mm. And that's what I think we're fixing to find out. Yeah. Like, we've gone on and on today that I I think your assessment of the running back room is inflated. We can agree to disagree on that. But there's certainly position groups on this team that everybody thinks too highly of. I think there's a chance this wide receiver group just isn't very good. I think there's a chance this offensive line just isn't very good. I think there's a chance this group of edge rushers that everybody told me, hey, no big deal that they've gotten rid of Vaughn Miller, Bradley Chubb, and Malik Reed in the last two years. All good. We got Jonathan Cooper and Nick Benito just waiting to blossom. Maybe none of those guys are any good either. Well, Vance Joseph didn't help that situation by saying last week it's the best group of edge rushers he's ever coached. I heard Stoke and Zach talking about that, and Zach in particular was really turned off by that comment saying, why don't you just let your guys prove it, Vance? Yeah. Why do you have to put that kind of pressure on this unit that if they come out in the first four weeks and only have two sacks in four games, we're going to be going, what the heck was Vance Joseph talking about? It seems like a weird thing to say, a weird expectation to put on the Broncos, that you're right, like we've been encouraged by Cooper and Benito, but we got to go see Cooper and Benito do it in regular season football. Not training camp, not preseason, regular season football. That's when the best players show up. Correct. And so the mental mistakes, because I, I just I find it impossible to believe that Sean Payton, kind of the way he's wired and he's a type A personality, and a control freak, and I mean both of those things as a compliment because I think you have to be that to be a good head coach. I find it impossible to believe that he's not harping on these mental mistakes day after day after day after day. And if you keep making them, that tells me maybe you're just not a very good football player at this level. That is my concern of how much of this roster has been overinflated, overvalued, because those kind of mistakes tend to happen from guys who just can't play at this level, at a high level. It's all fair. It's all fair criticism, and it's all fair things to to keep an eye out on, particularly the kicker situation. You know, they got the injury settlement with Elliot Fry, 
Brett Maher's still here. Mason Crosby still lurks. Robbie Gold still lurks. We hear these rumors about Will Lutz. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question real quick, but it's uh, KKFN and KKFN HD1 Longmont Denver. Very well done. That was within the new rules. That's fine. I'll give it to you. Brett Maher kicking against the Raiders or no? September 10th. I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to be nervous. I think that will be. I think that will be a mistake. I think he will cost them a game at some point this season. The other part of it is we're talking through this. There are two players on this team, two, that you're 100% confident in. Justin Simmons and Pat Sertan. That's it. Yeah. And I'm driving the Russ bandwagon. But am I 100% confident in him? No. Do I think he's going to have a, a really, really good season and get back to being great? I do. But you can't say you're 100% confident. You're, you're 100% confident in Patrick Mahomes if you're a Chiefs fan. They have two guys that you're 100% confident in. The rest of them all have to answer the bell come the regular season. D-Mac joins us now. We're excited to uh, up, boys? welcome him in. What's up, D-Mac? I could do uh, two straight hours on Bud Black from last night. Mm, did you hear us talking about that? Yeah, absolutely. I saw the tweet right away last night. Um, that's baseball. Is a legitimate baseball excuse for certain things. Nine runs in one inning is pathetic. Period. The end. There's so many ways to stop that bleeding, and you want to get on somebody. What preparation did you do with your scouts, your assistant coaches? What were you doing in the bullpen? What were your bullpen sessions like? I mean, it is inexcusable what happened. Beyond, you know, that's what that's that's a bad te- that's that's what a bad team does right there, and that's who we are, guys. That's who we are. The record shows it, and we proved it tonight. How about an answer like that? I agree. Could not agree more. Like, when when does it become so acceptable to just lose? I asked Patrick Sertan today what the define what uh, what what he could take from Broncos history. You know what he said? Winning, Mm. and he's damn right. Good for PS two to have that sort of answer. We saw Grant Randy Gratishar, who came in in nineteen seventy four. When the Broncos in the 60s, you want to talk about a bad team, holy cow, did they define that. And they still didn't lose to the Chiefs as many times as this Broncos team did. But when they turned things around in the early 70s to culminate 1977 with their first Super Bowl, and Randy Gradishar was a key piece. If you don't know your Broncos history, if you don't know the Orange Crush, take a deep dive into that. They didn't win at all, but boy, oh boy, did they turn things around because it was about winning, winning. I'll even cite... Tim Tebow, who said he had like a coach in third grade who says it doesn't matter if you win or lose as long as you have fun. And he said, what is that when he was in third grade? And Tebow was right. I hate to dawn everybody with the harsh reality that you're out there to win as a professional, but you're out there to win as a professional and you gave up nine runs and that is somehow acceptable? I It was, it was ridiculous. I mean, the fact that he was chalking up a walk on a 3-2 count as that's just baseball, like it's a bad break. That's baseball. You threw a ball. You threw four balls before you threw three strikes. That's not a bad break. That's bad pitching. You know what that baseball is? Is you're a batter, and on a 2-0 pitch with runners on second third, you drill a ball. You have an exit velocity of like 110 miles an hour, and it just so happens a dude is standing right there. That's baseball. That's the way that goes. Not a nine-run inning. I can give you a million examples of that's baseball, but not that. Yeah. All right. I, I love it. I love it, and I'm sure you'll talk more about it, but there was a lot of news of the Broncos. Randy Gratishar, named a finalist for the Hall of Fame. Basically a technicality. He'll get in come January or February. We're keeping our fingers crossed. This was a massive step. And by the way, what a stupid process that is. I know. It's still not done. Whatever. It's going to get done. James is a little more nervous about it than Are I you really? Am, but I wake up nervous about everything. Well, today, boy, oh boy, after what Randy Gratishar did today and who he's saying and how much it meant to him, I, 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 that would be a stab in the heart to compare to none other. It's, it's a dumb process they have. He should it, just be in. Exactly. And it's all these kind of hurdles, and I just don't want it to be the YouTube video where they, they jump the last hurdle and all they have to do is run through the tape. And they trip and fall and face plant into the track. Sorry, I uh, disrupted. Well, it, just real quick, I want to. And Nate Jackson joins us too. I just want to get the thoughts on the Rams winning the practice today because that's been the consensus. Thank you. And, Thank you. And the Jerry Judy drop sees because wow. I saw your reporting on that saying 
that Sean Payton answer was about Jerry Judy dropping the football. I didn't play the game Nate did, so Nate should go first on this one, but I'll, I'll get there. Yeah, you guys talking about the drops, or are you talking about losing the day? I, I think both are the big two takeaways from Well, the I don't think it's a big eh if you lose the day. Uh, is that what you guys are saying, no big deal that you lost the day, or I that just, you didn't lose the day? No, I think it's a big deal. I don't believe the reports that they lost today. Oh, let's just Where's start the that? scoreboard. Where's the scoreboard? How, what, was, how, what was the number? Yeah, I got it's you. a feeling. It is a feeling, James. When you, when you have one of those mm-hmm. practices, of course, you're not keeping score, but you kind of have a feel for who brought it more, where the energy was, where the big plays were. For example, there was one play that was actually celebrated by, uh, by the team, and that was the Rams scoring a touchdown in that kind of red zone move the ball period at the end there. The Broncos didn't have any moments like that. I get it, but it, I think if you have back-to-back days where it feels like the Rams won, <laughs> back that's, to back. that's right. more telling because right. for all we know, today could have been the day that, hey, the Rams got to dictate what how things went because they were trying to work on things, and tomorrow it's the opposite. If it's back-to-back where the Rams win both of them, then I think that's clear. If you want to say the Rams won the day today, I, that it was not crystal clear. I'm hearing these reports. I'm like, was I at the same Thing is, everybody else, they can you, Okay, can, can, uh, other than Alberto having some really nice plays there. Yeah. What, can you remember any nice plays by any Broncos players? The Broncos offense struggled. So if you want to say the Rams defense was better than the Broncos offense, I would say sure. But I was watching the other side of the field, too. The, and the Rams offense looked pretty decent. They looked okay. It was, it, listen, let me tell you, the energy level out there sucked. Okay? Josie Jewell started mixing it up early, and there was a couple of other things. But Randy Gregory is making peace, and just everything was like, I don't know, man. And things were fast, though. Like, the pace of everything was really, I thought, Nate, moving out there. So it didn't lead to a lot of, you know, um, uh, big, huge, tense, on-the-edge moments. There wasn't a lot of juice with the wine and cheese crowd in attendance? Oh, you you should you should write about that. How many people? You write I, about that. I, I mean... It's the it's the what, players aren't looking for the crowd to uh, juice them up on a game on a day like this. I, I I mean it's better than the wine and cheese crowd. So here's what's going to be the best practice of camp, and you don't open it up to the public. You don't open it up to the diehards. You don't open it up to the people who were clamoring for tickets and and snatched them up within 48 hours. You're opening them up to people who pay you a lot of money to be sponsors and their friends and family. Yeah, guess who who's out there tomorrow. Same thing. Empower field people. Empower retirement people. And you know what? You could have done the wine and cheese crowd for the first two practices. The wine and cheese crowd would have enjoyed that just as much. They could have schmoozed the VP who flew in. Guys, they had, pr- they had practices close to the public that nobody was out at this year. Nobody. That's typically where you have sponsors out there. Yeah, but I last just, year, guys, they were open to the public when they uh, when they or practiced against the Cowboys, and they had their best practice of the year against the Cowboys. I know. It created a lot of false expectations around that day, and so it, they laid an egg during the season. Why does that matter? I just don't like treating the fans that way. I, I don't like I treating you. the diehard fans, know, the bread and butter fans that way, because you I know agree. what? What percentage of the wine and cheese crowd out there is going to tune in for 17 games this year? Totally agree. The people who... Hey, they were all wearing Broncos gear, man. They looked excited to be I there to meet James. Because their credit card worked at the team store. Oh. I'll bet most of them still had tags they had on the it. creases on their shirt, yeah. <laughs> I, I thought it was a mixed bag. I don't think it was as crazy as, you know, oh, my God, the, the Rams. Well, no, you're, something you're, you're the first one to say that because every other reporter has said clear Rams win. Something, you're the, you're so, the first one. something to mention about these two joint practices, the way it goes. I've been involved in these joint practices probably over half the time that I was in, in the league six years, probably four of the years we did that. Day one, one team usually gets the better <laughs> of the other team. Then you go watch film, and the coaches, you know, let you know that you screwed up okay. and that tomorrow is an opportunity to set it straight, and then the next day it flips, and then the game ends up being a wash. So that's what I would be looking at tomorrow to see if these guys can energetically uh, come with more and, and, and actually correct some of these mistakes. I love what Nate just said there because you, guess who else said that? Sean Payton. Yeah. Because he was, you know, I asked him, you know, what, what was going on. He was like, I don't know. i got to watch the film. So anybody who's just going to go out there and tell you instantly, they know like exactly what happened after today. Oh, okay. But I, see, I, I got gotcha. you. See your your best players dropping passes. Yeah. Well, that you was know, bad. That was bad. And, and, but and that, I agree that creates a perception that you're not ready to go and that your best okay. players aren't playing well. Well, it was a lousy day for Jerry Judy and a good day for Alberto. Well, the number of mental mistakes from this team, which I would put false starts, jumping off sides on defense, and dropping passes as just. Mental mistakes. It's just not being ready to go. At this point, 
when you've got another team here and it should kind of re-energize you. It's not like day 19 of going up against the same guys. That's concerning. Let me be more clear, okay, because you're right about all of that. So you could say it wasn't a good practice for the Broncos, but I would say equally it wasn't a great practice for the Rams. It's not like they were making a lot of things happen out there or it was anything spectacular from them. And if we want to just cut hairs and say somebody won or somebody lost, I mean, this is kind of an in coin flip territory. It's not like it was with the Niners a few years ago, nor was it anything close to what the Cowboys gave us last year. But what about this two-minute drill? It sounds a lot like what we saw in the first drive in San Francisco on Saturday night, that the Niners moved the ball, should have scored a touchdown, stalled out at the two, and then the Rams in this two-minute drill just marched right down the field on the ones and scored a touchdown. Yeah, man, I was I didn't really see all of that <laughs> to be honest with you because there's two fields you're trying to you're trying to see it all. The guys are talking. D Max like, what's going on, man? Oh, I like to have fun. So, um, so I, I, so we I do saw know them, for I saw a fact there was the a two minute drill that they marched I down saw and them scored the ball in two minutes. Yeah, and and I think that was what when they rejoiced after that touchdown in the end zone. Very under practice, but yeah, but they but the Broncos all, also did a move the ball period to get themselves in field goal range and uh, you know practice sneaking the ball and then spiking it and they and that seemed to work. So it was a lot of situational stuff that they were doing. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you know that Sean Payton pr- pronounces it sidge. Yeah, well, did you hear Gratishaw today? I would stand there for the whole thing. I had to move and get into the shade a little now, bit. Now, I will what give him uh, – we, we poked fun at him a little bit because he oh. kept calling Randy Gratishaw, Randy Gratishaw. <laughs> but I will say, it was not Vic Fangio not knowing whose ab sweater he was wearing. He knew who Randy Gratishaw was. He just was botching the name. Uh, he botches some pronunciations. Yeah, he, pr- he pronounces and, things weird, man. He does. He's got yeah. a little bit of a whatever-you-want accent. You yeah. know, where is that from? Is that It's almost like a – is that like a Boston accent? If you're calling Gratishaw, Gratishaw, it's it's an interesting. Like he really does say situations. Like I I don't know where that says offensive. Yeah, like you want some clam chowder? Yeah, oh. right. Yeah, you know, like I would say Randy Gratishaw back home. You know, <laughs> right. Randy Gratishaw. <laughs> so the, the you know. Saying. Be like he's wicked awesome that Randy Gratishaw. I but, mean, he is unbelievable. But man. he went like on a th- what he did to Steve Grogan was a shame. He went on like a three minute story about the you know the the Slurpee cups and having the Alan Page and the Randy Gratishaw. Like I don't think that was all just hey some PR guy told him to do it. No, like, no, he, he knew what not. he was talking. He's fifty nine years old. He's a football fan. Yeah, yeah. Randy Gratishaw, Shar, you know <laughs> how you want to say it is my first memory of the Denver Broncos when I was in third grade in Steamboat Springs. It's when I became a sports fan. He was one of my guys. Haven Moses and Tom Jackson and Lyle Alzado and those are the Orange Crush. All I wanted for Christmas that Christmas was an Orange Crush T-shirt. I remember it to this day. It broke my heart. They lost to the Cowboys. I mean, that's when I became a sports fan. I wanted Sean Payton comes from that generation. I used to press my sleeves so they would flop in the wind like Haven Moses when he ran. I mean, those were the so cool, so good. And it's the so and you guys probably know this stat, but of the first seventy-four, you pressed your sleeves, yeah. First seventy-four Super Bowl teams. The 1977 Broncos are the only one without a Hall of Fame. Yeah, I saw that. Man. That's ridiculous. Yeah. That is ridiculous. Should Craig Morton be in the Hall of Fame? No. Well, should Haven Moses be in the Hall of Fame? No. Should Tom Jackson be in the Hall of Fame? Borderline. Louis Wright should be, though. Louis Wright. Louis Wright. Okay. Well, now, Randy Gratishaw is uh, he's in the Hall of Fame, I guess, eventually. When they get through that stupid process. See, I spoke a little Canadian there for you. A little Jared Bednar? Just got got that in there for you at the tail end. All right, well, we're here to chop it all up one way or the other. And, yes, I did learn this from listening to Cecil. I will never, ever speak to Cecil ever, ever, ever because he's, he's paying attention. Not me. I'm, I'm, I'm like a vaudeville comedian. Not a very good one. All right, this is The Drive on the Fan.